Amen. You know, it's really a privilege to get to do what I get to do, to come up here in front of you, some people that I know, some that I don't yet, and to talk to you about what God has to say to us and talk to you about who God is and what he has to say in your life. Um, I just want to say it's, it's a privilege every time I get to step up here. Um, I, in my process every week, try to internalize what I'm going to say um, without polishing it too much. So I'm trying to be balanced in coming up here. Sometimes I still have questions about uh, what God says, uh, and sometimes it's very clear. And so in all times, I just want to say thank you for um, entrusting your ears to me this morning uh, on behalf of God's voice to you. It really is a joy. So thank you very much. Even though you may not know that's what's happening, uh, thank you. It's a really privilege. So uh, let me do a quick review if you're new or newer um, to Wyoming Harbor. We have been walking through the book of Genesis. I gotta grab something out of my back here. Um, we have been, we chose to take a long form of studying the book of Genesis because after we had gone through a whole series on the book of Matthew, we thought it'd be good to go back to the very beginning of the Bible, chapter one, verse one, uh, to see the foundations of God's story that he's been writing uh, through all of human history. So last week, um, we talked about, we talked about many things before that, but uh, we talked about the flood. Uh, Pastor Tom was here to give you an awesome message about um, the global flood. If you've ever, ever seen the flannel graph of Noah and the ark and all the animals, um, he, he uh, talked about that story a bit in Genesis 6 and 7, and I certainly love his approach that... Um, this is not a story of God being furious and anger, angry. It's a story of God being sad and impassioned in love for his people that he's created. So we're going to see a little bit of that today, again, that um, even though uh, you may come into this room with a paradigm of that God is just angry at us all the time, we find something completely, distinctly different about the God of the Bible than any of the other world religions that we see, and certainly of the ones that were present in the day that the Bible was written. So we're going to jump in, uh, and verse, uh, just to catch us up to where we were, this is the last verse of chapter 7 of Genesis. It says, the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. So that's just to say, we had just covered this flood, this global flood, and there was a guy named Noah who God said to build this ark uh, in the middle of the desert because a flood was going to come to that area, and Noah was shown to be faithful, and he ended up building this ark. And so the floods rose from the ground, the waters came down from the skies, and Noah and his family were the only ones left on earth, along, as we're told, with all the animals, two of each kind, and some even more uh, than two of each kind, in this ark. So maybe you've heard the term Noah's ark before. That's this story. And so we're picking up... Um, with Noah and his family in the boat. So I want to start there at verse uh, 8, and it says this, excuse me, chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah. Good. 
because <laughs> he and his family are the only ones alive uh, on this boat that we're told in Genesis 7. God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the, and the livestock that were with him in the ark and sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. There are several times in the Old Testament where you hear that phrase, and God remembered. God remembered Noah after this great flood, this great storm. And it's not to say that God forgot, but it's remembering from the heart that the God of Genesis is of the Bible is, is different than the one that we hear even in the other flood stories that existed in uh, ancient Near East. When we go through a flood in life, God doesn't abandon us, but he remembers. And I just want to sit with that for a second, that God remembers. So you're a student in here that's anxious about your future. You're someone that's stressed about your finances. You're uh, someone that's grieving or mourning the loss. You're these and many other things. God remembers you. If nothing else, I hope that you feel that and take that home with you today, that God sees you. God remembers you. So let me pray to the God who remembers us as I step further into this story that we're going to read today. Uh, Father, thank you for remembering us. Thank you that you uh, are good, like a good father, as we sang about. And I pray that as I unfold the next part of this story, that you will be empowered behind these words. Amen. So the early chapters of Genesis um, are so full of layers that would be really easy to miss. That's why every week that I get to come up and preach, and Tom, Pastor Tom said it again last week, he's like, I got to pick the rabbit holes because it's so rich with layers, uh, the book of Genesis is, um, that we have to just pick the ones that we focus on. And I would encourage you, though, to grab one of the Genesis devotionals. I think there's a couple left over in the connecting point over there. And you can follow along, and this will help open up some more of those rabbit holes for you. So uh, this week we'll be starting on page 81. So if you want to grab one of those, you, you certainly can. Um, but I do want to share a moment, just some parallels. As we step into, we're in this flood narrative, you get to see so many parallels to the very beginning in Genesis 1. So the parallel between this Genesis 1 story and Genesis 7 and 8, it's almost... As if, well, I'll, I'll tell you what's happening there. So let me share some of them. In Genesis 1 and Genesis 8, the earth was covered in water in both scenarios. You see in Genesis 1, the very opening lines that the earth was void and covered in, in water. <clears throat> and the water was chaotic, as it was uh, in the flood story in uh, Genesis 8. In both stories, there is some hovering happening over the water. In Genesis 1, it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the deep and the abyss. And then in uh, Genesis 8, uh, as in the section that we're in right now, uh, a dove was released out of the, the ark to see if there was land that was present. So there's hovering happening, both of the stories. 
the heavens were opened in both of the stories. In Genesis 1, light rained down. And in Genesis 8, water rained down. There, I'm just scratching the surface, for real, on the amount of beautiful layers that there are in this scripture that we can see that what God is doing here and what we're supposed to see, and we're only in Genesis chapter 8, but we're supposed to see that this all feels so familiar. It feels like we just read this. It feels like we were just in this scene. In this moment, we're, we're supposed to see that there's like a recreation moment happening there. That God had brought the floods, that the flood was representative of a fresh start for humanity. So not only does God remember us in the floods, he also gives us a fresh start coming out of it. It's in God's nature to be patient and to offer a fresh start when we turn to him. And at this recreation moment, Genesis 8, God brings the flood. After the waters had receded, we read this in uh, Genesis 8, verse 15. It says, Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. So they'd been in this ark for we don't even know how long, at least 150 days. The Hebrew word for come out is yatsah. Not Yahtzee, even though it kind of sounds like that. Maybe there is some Hebrew connection. I have no idea. Um, it's the same word that you see in Genesis 2 that describe the river that flows from the Garden of Eden that waters the rest of the earth. God was calling Noah and his family out of this ark, this thing that had saved them at the time, but him and his family to come out, to flow out like the rivers that give life to the world. It was a beautiful and heartfelt call out. It's like God was saying, come on out, my children. Flow out. The flood is over. And you don't have to be afraid. Things are good again. God was giving them a fresh start. So the ark was no longer necessary. He calls them out. Could you imagine if they decided to stay living inside of the ark, though? With all those stinky animals? <laughs> How sad would that be if God delivers them through this flood in this ark and then they chose to stay there because they were too scared? God calls them out into the sunshine, not living in an old ship. Because it's time to step into a fresh start. So I always like to ask you some questions as I go through my talk here. Through Jesus, we're offered a fresh start every day. But I wonder, are you afraid to step out into a fresh start? You heard Pastor Tom last week talk about how sometimes God will send a flood in order to be merciful and rescue us from something that will destroy us. Well, when the flood's over, when it's time for a new season, have you found yourself living in the storm so long that you're afraid of the sun? 
God lovingly calls you out for a fresh start. God wants to give you a fresh start just like he's doing in this story. And next, we read a few verses later that God says something very familiar. So I told you there's layers, right? We're already calling back to words that God had said before. In Genesis 9, verse 1, it says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It wasn't too long ago in in Genesis chapter 1, God said the same thing to Adam and Eve, the very first human beings that we're told of. He said to be fruitful, multiply and increase in the earth. God is reiterating that blessing. Yes, there's been a flood. Yes, it was disastrous and hard and it rescued us out of a terrible situation. And now God says a fresh start. And he gives us that commission, that call to be fruitful and to multiply and increase in the world. But wouldn't you think the very first thing, so if God has to send a flood because humanity is so evil, if he has to send a flood, don't you think the first thing that God might say when the ark door hits the, the ground, hey guys, don't mess this up this time. Like, please. I went through a lot of work <laughs> to make you. I made things good. They're good again. Please don't mess it up. Nope. God surprises us again. The instructions that God gives to these people in their fresh start to Noah and his family were the same as the original blessing that God gave to Adam and Eve at the moment of creation. This is a God who blesses. This is a God who loves you. He was calling Noah and all generations to come back, back to the original good. He's calling us out, the Yatzah, out of the ark to be fruitful and multiply, the original blessing of creation. He still wants that for you. He still wants that for me. God still wants good blessing and flourishing for all humankind. Because he's the one that gave the value to human beings and gave value to human life. And it's fascinating again, let me show you another point back here, that God repeats another thing. It says in verse 6 and 7 of chapter 9, Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shut. Shed. So this is a callback to the Cain and Abel story. But then he says, for the image of God has God made humankind. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. He's reminding us, even after Adam and Eve chose sin, even after all this brokenness had entered the world, even after the flood, even after God had to reset things because they were so bad, he's still saying, the image of God is on you. The image and likeness of God is on you. Even after all of that, he insists that every person on the globe still is made in the image and likeness of God. I think that bears repeating. 
And I'm, I'm making a point to highlight it in these early chapters along the way because that means that human beings today, every one of us, still bears the image and likeness of God. Every person on the planet has that value given to them by God that wasn't erased at the flood that still remains on all of us. So I look at every human being on earth personally with a lot of wonder because I wonder if every person on earth has something to show me about who God is, what is that thing? How might they point me towards God? And that's not to say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm not getting at a a relative truth here on those grounds, but I'm saying I think there's something mysterious inside of the soul of every person on earth from the word that we can learn from. So does that change your view a little bit of the person you might bump into at the grocery store or that person in traffic that gives you a friendly hello with one of their fingers? Like everyone is made, we're broken, yes, but everybody has something in them that God so desperately loves. Do you see yourself that way? Do do you see yourself as a reflection of God? Because that's what you are, and I don't think that message gets old because we look into a cracked mirror. We look into a foggy mirror that, that distorts who we see when we look at ourselves. And don't get me wrong, there's brokenness within all of us, but if God still says, after all of that, that there is an image and likeness that he still puts on and in every person, then I have to honor that. It makes life a whole lot more fun to see that there's little reflections of the divine walking around all over the place from young to old, black to white, no matter where you are in the planet. We're all reflections of who God is and he calls us to be fruitful and multiply. He gives us this joy of working the earth and seeing things come to flourish. I think it's interesting how often, it'd be easy to miss this, but how often the theme of fruit up to the point where we're at right now has been mentioned in these early chapters of Genesis. In chapter 1, Adam and Eve were created to be fruitful, right? To be fruitful and multiply. In Genesis 2, God plants a garden full of fruit, (laughs) full of trees that are good for the enjoyment of humanity. In chapter 3, Adam and Eve eat from that one tree, that one fruit that God said not to, the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. In chapter 4, Cain gives God his leftover fruit as a token offering. In chapter 5, a man named Lamech, that's Noah's dad, is working the soil to produce fruit, and he laments the fact that it, it causes pain too. And here in the flood, God, God calls Noah back to be fruitful. He reminds us of their, our blessing and call to be fruitful, to live a life of flourishing. And in chapter 9, this is the last place we'll park it in Genesis, the theme of fruit has another mention here in chapter 9, verse 18. It says, The sons of Noah came out of the ark, were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
Ham was the father of Canaan. I'll talk a bit more about that next week. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came people who were scattered over the whole earth. Noah, a man of the soil like his dad, preceded to plant a, proceeded to plant a vineyard. It was fruit again. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside of his tent. What does lay uncovered inside of his tent mean? Exactly what you think it does. <laughs> Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders when they walked backwards and covered their father's, covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so that they could, would not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves, he will be to his brother. There are pieces in there that I'm holding, restraining back that are so interesting that I'm going to try and share some next week within this. So there's, there's a pattern, though. The main thing to see here is there's a pattern with this fruit. God's call to use it, flourish, for the blessing and flourishing of all of creation and what do human beings do with it. We have a fresh start. Come out of the boat. The flood's done. Fresh start. And very quickly, Noah does what we've seen happen often. God lovingly called them out of the chaos for a fresh start to be fruitful for the flourishing. And Noah uses his fruit-producing power to get drunk and set off a family drama story that traces to some huge things that I'm going to try and explore some of next week. But the main thing is that humanity and our connection to this fruit-producing ability There's a pattern of us spoiling a good thing. We see it here again. It's a person who gets trapped even after a fresh start by the old patterns. And I think there's probably one of those areas at least that each one of us could say in our lives that we've fallen back into from time to time. Have you ever had a fresh start and then you let yourself down again. Old fruit produces the same old outcomes. So we're invited as a reader of Genesis that we need something outside of ourselves to start fresh and remain there. And that's where we turn to Jesus. He's the lens that we read the whole Bible through. I know that's tricky. But we have Jesus' lenses. It's actually what makes reading some of the Old Testament hard because we're looking at it through the lens of Jesus. Because he defines who God is most clearly for us. And Jesus says this about himself. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Praise God. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. We need Jesus. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, 
and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you could do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Be fruitful and multiply. That you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. God God offers a fresh start. The flood is over. And now we must choose, we get to choose to remain attached to Jesus. Otherwise we will repeat the same patterns. And even in our struggle, Jesus is with us. The fresh start won't remain fresh unless we choose Jesus daily. Do I need Jesus daily? Yes. I need Jesus every second. Anyone else? He alone can turn old things new. In Mark uh, 2, verse 22, it says, no one, Jesus says this, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. That's like trying to stay in the ark and flourish into the future God has for you. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. We are created in the image and likeness of God. We are lovingly called by God to be fruitful and flourish. And we need Jesus to fill us with new wine. What is the new wine that Jesus is talking about here? Himself. We need Jesus. Jesus breaks the pattern. Jesus is the new wine. Jesus lived a perfect, sinful, sinless, fruitful Life and he offers himself as the means of the ultimate and continued fresh start. He said these words the night before he was hung on the cross. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. And when he took the cup, Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The theme of fruit. Jesus produces it in abundance for all of eternity, and we get the benefit of that through faith in him. God remembers you. God calls you out of the ark. Your flood will be over someday, and God blesses you with the same invitation that he had at the very beginning. Be fruitful and multiply. And Jesus is the key. He is the key to breaking the patterns, even if you have to rely on him more than you want to. To be reminded that if Jesus says you're free, you're free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So we look to Jesus in the floods and in the fresh starts. He is the new wine. He is the one that saves us and sustains us. And we'll celebrate that beautiful ceremony that he gave us called communion next week. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for 
providing a way. Thank you for loving us. And as we reread these stories, for us to get to see your heart on display. Even as sin and brokenness grieves your heart, it grieves you, and you do something to call us back to yourself. You give a fresh start. You remembered Noah. And I pray, Lord, as we began this talk, that you, that word has settled so deeply and so kindly and so graciously in the hearts of all of my friends here that they will know that you remember them, that you desire to do something new within them. There's something about moments, Lord. Sometimes a moment can have disproportionate impact in our life. And I pray that this moment will be significant in the story of some that hear. You want to give them a fresh start. It doesn't matter what they've done. You're here to say the future is good. With you, we can begin new. In Jesus' name, amen.